HR professionals, safeguard your business from compliance risks. AIMHR Solutions offers crucial compliance audit services tailored to your needs. Led by expert consultants, our audits ensure full compliance with federal and state laws and regulations. We provide a roadmap for your business's future with detailed reports pinpointing strengths and areas for improvement. Save time, money, and mitigate risk with our expertise. Constantly evolving laws and limited HR staff can leave you vulnerable to fines and lawsuits. Protect your business. Schedule your audit now at aimhrsolutions.com. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIMHR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright. Have you ever wondered about non-compete agreements? What are they all about? They seem to be in the news right now, and you might be impacted by a non-compete. You might not even know what it means. The implications of these complex contracts are significant, and we need to understand them as HR professionals. So today, Sarah Piscatelli and Tom Jones are with me to talk all about just that and more. Tom Jones, Sarah Piscatelli, welcome back to the show. It is so, so good to be talking to you again. I have this question about non-competes. Non-competes, non-disclosure, all of the kinds of documents that intend to limit what you are able to do after you leave your role. What is a non-compete agreement and how does it work? Pete, a non-compete agreement, that's a contract between an employer and an employee that's it's designed to protect an employee employer's business interest by preventing an employee from competing with an employer with the employer after their employment ends. It is different from a confidentiality, also known as a non-disclosure agreement. They're considered less restrictive. Those are contracts where the employee promises not to disclose certain proprietary information, such as trade secrets, after they leave the employment. So it's, it's considered, those are considered less restrictive than the um, non-competition agreements, non-competes. And we've heard a lot about them in the news lately because the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, has proposed a complete ban on on non-competes, almost all non-competes, right, Tom? I mean, they, they've they've issued. It's a proposed rule. It hasn't gone anywhere yet, but that's right. that's really why it is has been in the news of late. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. So, Tom, I understand that so much of the hue and cry around non-compete agreements varies heavily state by state. I my understanding is California has no non-competes. And so much of the argument that I have been hearing around non-competes is whether or not you think California has done it right. Actually, it, it turns out, Peter, in Silicon Valley in California, non-competes have been banned there for almost 100 years. So one of the, the sort of fights has been Silicon, um, Silicon Valley has no non-competes. So there's been a quick flow of information between companies. But Massachusetts has been famous for having non-competes. And there's an argument out there that says that restricted some of the high-tech growth here in Massachusetts because one person couldn't leave a company and go to another with free flow of information. So it's, it does highlight the fact that these apply to state by state. You know, Massachusetts has allows non-competes. California does not. North Dakota doesn't. Oklahoma doesn't. Other states do for some people, not for others. So what's your what's your position on this? I mean, why do we why do we need to care? 
companies do have a lot of issues at stake. They're trying to protect. And so I think, for example, the Massachusetts law draws a nice balance between this idea of complete ban and, you know, doing whatever a company wants. And so they put a law in effect that says you can do a, a non-compete for a year. Uh, and the presumption, I think, is that most interest will be protected for up to a year. But then don't forget, you don't want to deny the person the right to make a living. So if they're going to go work for another company, they have the right to, yeah, they have to wait a year, but they can go move somewhere else. And it's trying to trying to draw that balance between the two interests of the both parties, which is hard. The, I, I, the way I understand it in Massachusetts, at least, there is some also some limitation on who can sign non-competes. Who is limited by whether they can sign or can't sign? And is it, is it worth the trouble, Sarah? Yes. Uh, well, when the law was passed in, 20, in 2018, the Massachusetts Non-Competition Agreement Act. So that um, non, non-compete agreements, I'll just give it the abbreviation, non-compete agreements, um, they're not effective against, for example, hourly employees. And also for employees who have been laid off, even if they signed the non-compete agreement at the beginning of their employment. If later on they're subject of a layoff, they lose their job that cannot be enforced against them unless a new agreement is entered into. And that's generally what a company would do. If somebody signs a non-compete, gets a big severance, then yes, that that can be enforced against them. But generally in a layoff, no. So a, a lot of employees cannot be bound to a non-compete agreement. Um, and also, it has some strict limits on what can be protected by a non-compete agreement. It has to be trade secret or um, confidential information that doesn't really qualify as a trade secret. A trade secret is generally, the, the definition is any confidential business information which provides an enterprise, a co- company, a competitive edge and is unknown to others. So it's usually secret information. You couldn't Google it and find out here are the customers of so-and-so. You know, it's 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 more protected than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so, um, so it has to protect that sort of information, trade secret, confidential information, um, and or the employer's goodwill. And it, it has to be limited to, it has to be be reasonably limited. And that's been the law in Massachusetts, even predating this. They kind of codified it when they enacted the statute in 2018, sort of put into law, has to be reasonable in terms of geography. If a person has a small, a salesman, for example, he has a small territory or area, we say one county in Massachusetts, you can't enforce a non-competitive agreement that prevents him from competing anywhere in the state or, you know, elsewhere. It has to be limited to that area, has to be limited in scope. You can't be limited. You know, you can go into the same industry in a different aspect of it. If you weren't doing that type job for the employer, well, you should be free to do it at your next job. So there, there are some um, limitations on on what can be put into, what, what can be enforced in a non-compete agreement here in Massachusetts. Who, who defines what is uh, similar and not similar functions in in an organization? Like if you come in and you say, okay, I, I used to work for Intel and now I'm going to work for AMD and I'm in a, I made a different function, but can't there be an argument to be made that just by nature of the fact that the functions and skills required, that there is some overlap in that Venn diagram, that that could be defined uh, within the auspices of the non-compete? 
one, it can be it can be set out in the agreement, you know, in, in the contract itself, in the non-compete. But two, I think what what say it ended up in court, for example, what the court would be looking at is, did this person have access to confidentiality? Look at the spirit of the agreement. Was it meant to protect certain confidential information that then the employee went and used in the next job? Does that sound right mm-hmm. to you, Tom? I mean, it, it isn't there isn't a bright line, but you, generally the, the agreement will set out exactly what what they're seeking to protect. And that's really what the business has to think of before it even starts uh, requiring non-competes. The other thing the courts have done in many states around the country is that what they call blue pencil, they'll edit the agreement. So, you know, Sarah was describing the elements of the agreement earlier, but if some company overreached and the court said, well, gee, you've gone too far here with this one. You know, you're trying to be reasonable, but really you've done too much to deny the person a living. We'll just edit it back to that one county she referred to, not to the whole state. And the courts have been free to do that for decades with th- these agreements because they don't like them. They say, well, that's not fair, so we'll change it. And they're trying to balance out the, again, it's always this, how do you balance out the interest of the two parties in such a way as to make it as fair as possible? What is the the general state of the, the reaction to uh, non-competes in Massachusetts? Uh, are businesses generally, I assume, in favor of them, or are these changes met with sort of welcome open arms? I think this generally in favor of them because they believe they have a legitimate right to protect those interests. But And there was some opposition when the law got codified at, one, at mm-hmm. uh, night in 2018, but employers are going to learn to live with it. The, the yeah. other thing is they have to be ready to, a, a good example is, Somebody works doing ABC function at a company. The non-compete is put in place. The company has to learn to update that a, that non-compete because the person now does XYZ as opposed to ABC. And if they don't protect the interests, then the non-competes have no value whatsoever. Oh, because as, as they transition to XYZ and then move and get another job in XYZ, the non-compete right. doesn't, doesn't be unenforceable. protect the company. Okay. So they'd have to make sure that they kept the, the non-compete up to date. So as the person moved through their functions within the organization, you make sure you're protecting the necessary interest. Let's talk about any limitations on on how and when you put the the non-compete in place. Is there any there, there's some mention of the, the Massachusetts law on uh, how and when you can ask an employee to sign a non-compete agreement? Yes. And that really goes, that's rooted in contract law. In order to enforce a contract, there has to be consideration. You know, the employer has to give something. If it's signed upon hire, it's really the job serves as consideration, you know, so they can ask. But later on in the employment, where suddenly you might realize, the company might realize, geez, we should get non-competes from everybody. It's not going to be enforceable in Massachusetts unless some additional consideration is given. Say a promotion, a raise, something of value has to be given to the employee to support that. So that's written right into the statute that that you need some additional um, consideration at that time. Also, one thing we didn't mention in talking about the, the Massachusetts law anyway is that Paying them through the severance period, they, they, the Massachusetts law requires what they call garden leave, and has it's generally fifty percent of their salary for the duration of the non-compete, which cannot be for more than a year. So you're paying them fifty percent of their salary. That would be determined the highest level of salary within the last two years of employment. That has to continue for the period of the non-compete. Oh, okay. So uh, I could leave a company under non-compete and know that while I'm under non-compete, I'm still earning some salary from that company. That's correct. That's not a bad gig. Well, that's a real hammer to not use the law, to not have a non-compete. 
You know, if yeah. I'm going to have to pay you $50,000 a year for you to stay home, yeah, that's potentially a lot of money. Right. Right. I have to really know I want to protect that interest. So you got to ask the question, is it worth the, is it worth the hassle? Like when you think about the percentage of, of companies and the percentage of employees that are protected under non-compete, it, it seems like that question, is it worth the hassle, is, is uh, really important. Who's working under non-compete under these conditions in Massachusetts? We'd have to be an exempt employee. So that's a small cohort of employees anyway. And then the, the question would be, you know, does that person actually have knowledge that the company needs to protect? Yeah. And it's causing, I think, a lot of companies to go back and look at that question and say, is there really something here that would protect that would be worth our money and time and effort to? And when all is said and done, will the company then enforce it? They're going to have to be ready to enforce it. And and very often there are lesser, you know, less restrictive agreements like non-solicitation. You can have a non-solicitation agreement that prevents the employee from soliciting your customers, you know, within a prescribed, in a certain area. Usually it'll be tailored, you know, again, reasonably related to the person's job while they're there. The people, you know, his, for the, the example I gave earlier, the customers in that county, you can go and do it elsewhere. You don't have to pay for that. I mean, you do have to provide some consideration, which can be the job initially or later on a promotion or something like that, but you don't have to pay them for the duration of that, you know, so, so a non-solicitation, solicitation agreement is completely cut out of the non-compete law. It doesn't apply to that. So that's one. And non-disclosure, you have certain information. But and companies have to be really careful. I, one thing that can, gets lost is that they might, they might assume that they have to designate information as confidential. Be sure that their employees know this is confidential. We consider this a trade secret, et cetera. You know, things have to be marked. You, that's why, you know, you have to have the, that on there, I think a lot of employees kind of unwittingly can go off and violate these things without even knowing, oh, that wouldn't be considered, you know, a trade secret, a confidential information. So the company has to be sort of proactive in saying, yes, this is exactly what we're trying to protect when the the employee is given access to some more uh, confidential information. When you when you think about the trouble that is caused for either party, the employee, the former employee or the employer, it, it, it you know, I, I, I feel like I often go back and think it's it's going to be more trouble for the employee because it's expensive and costs not just monetary challenge, but time challenge to go into the and, and to challenge and be challenged by an employer who's challenging. Life. But it sounds like it's a pain, a pain for the employer, too. Definitely is. I mean, you have to think, yes. am I prepared to do it? And there's always a chance that, you know, the employee will go to a new employer. The new employer will pay their defense because they may want that person to come over. So then it becomes a protracted law fight in court. Mm-hmm. And if the old employer doesn't win that summary judgment at the first step, they're not going to go to trial in this because it's going to take forever. It's mm-hmm. expensive. It's probably unnecessary. And they're not, they're going to they'll lose no matter what. So the question is always going to be, is it worth the initial fight to, to pursue? I mean, there was a court case recently in Massachusetts in which one of the first cases involving this new law in was the question came up, did they, was the employee given enough time to consider their rights under the non-compete. And the court, the law says you have to give people 10 business days to be able to determine whether or not you want to sign this. And the employee was forced to sign before 10 days were up. And as a result, they sued and the court ruled, well, yeah, it's it's val- invalid. The non-compete is invalid because you didn't meet the criteria for giving that person a chance to determine whether they wanted to sign the agreement or not. You're going to start seeing, I think, a lot of cases which will go in favor of the employee unless the employer is extremely careful and how they put it together. 
Okay, so what does that look like being extremely careful for our HR pros who are listening to this show? Uh, what are some of the considerations they need to to put into place? What is sort of the mental model for thinking about how do I, it's, it's Monday morning, 8 a.m., day one, we need to set up a non-compete structure. What are we thinking about? You're going to need a lawyer, that's for sure. I wouldn't put one in place without having a lawyer, okay? Because there are... AM, day one, hire a lawyer. Hire okay. a lawyer. Yes, I would have it drafted by a lawyer who knows the ins and outs of the law. I mean, the law is still fairly new. Hasn't been challenged all that much. You know, it's been five years, but still, it's it, there isn't a lot of case law and interpretation of... But there there's a long history of non-compete law in Massachusetts that they will the courts will probably look to when it comes to reasonableness and things like that. But the technical requirements of this law, I believe it may be, even be that same case, Tom, but there was one recently. You have to include in the non-compete agreement that the employee has had a right to consi- consult counsel, for example. I mean, you cannot leave those things out. The 10-day requirement, that comes from the statute. So you really do have to consider it carefully and, and be as specific as you can about what it is you're trying to protect. And the other thing is, if you're in a different state, you want to have somebody, to Sarah's point, an attorney who knows the law in that state. Some, like some states have a statute which says, if somebody earns less than this amount of money, they can't be put subject to a non-compete, like $50,000 a year or $100,000, depending on the state. You need to know that. Otherwise, if you go through all the effort to present somebody with a non-compete, only to find it's unenforceable, why bother? Yeah, why so You bother? really need somebody up front to, to know exactly where you're going. Just one last word on non-solicitation, because it seems like as you as you mentioned that, Sarah, that felt like a real potential alternative tool that might get you toward the same ends much more cheaply. Is is that a legitimate alternative to non-competes in in this scenario? Or is it is it I mean, is it just such a wholly different animal that it's it's not something that our HR pro would think about? Oh, I think I think it's a great alternative since they're completely carved out of the non-compete law and your yeah. non-solicitation agreement that can extend to soliciting former employees, you know, so you can prevent them from raiding your sales team when, you know, a sales manager goes over to a new company. And that might be all you need to protect what you have, you know, what you've built as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the other one that's out there is the non-disclosure that companies use regularly to make sure that people don't share information in other ways as well. I mean, you know, you see it every so often in, in business world, political world, and, you know, other commercial ventures, non-disclosure, because that may get to the same end, end as well. Well, I, I sure per- appreciate your uh, guidance here. This can be confusing. Hope for our HR pros that are listening to this, that you have learned from our favorite attorneys uh, right here, Tom Jones and Sarah Piscitelli. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate your time and attention. As always, you can find the links in the show notes about this show at aimhrsolutions.com. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, anywhere you find your finer podcasts. On behalf of Tom and Sarah, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR. HR.